All right. Welcome, everyone. It's so great to have everyone here. Welcome. I am Renee Bernhard, the founder of Foster Source, and I'm happy to be moderating this Adams County Town Hall this evening. It's such a treat for us to be able to hear directly from the county um, and from Lindsay Gilchrist from Champs. So thank you all for being here. The panel will introduce themselves shortly, but first I would like to introduce Carrie Daggett, who will introduce herself, tell us a little bit about herself and about um, what we're gonna do tonight, Carrie. Hi there, everyone. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, I, I can't see all of you. I wish I could, but um, I, I'm really um, happy to be here tonight and just want to say first and foremost, it really is an honor to be here spending time with all of you. Um, I'm thrilled that you chose to take time out of your busy days and your busy lives to join us tonight. Um, your ongoing commitment to the children and youth of Adams County has not wavered during one of the most difficult times you've probably ever had to serve in. Um, you, you were and continue to be brave and resilient and compassionate, and you've been asked to serve in many roles simultaneously for the children and youth that you're serving. Um, we acknowledge that there will still be challenges on the horizon as we continue to navigate uncharted territory over the next several months, and we really can never say thank you enough to the work that you do and to the lives and families that you are supporting. Um, you are doing the hardest and most important job, um, and for that, we will be forever grateful. So I wanted to say that first and foremost. Um, just wanted to share a little bit about who I am so that you know about me. Um, I am Carrie Daggett, and I am the um, Director of Child Welfare for Adams County. I've been with Adams for a little bit over a year now and have just loved being here. Um, prior to that, I worked for the Colorado Department of Human Services in the Division of Child Welfare as their deputy director. But if you go way back, I started my career in child welfare in Mesa County, which if any of you know where that's at, that's the Grand Junction and Fruta area. Um, and I started there right after I graduated college about 22 years ago. Um, I served as a caseworker working closely with families and kin families and foster families for about 13 years. Um, and then I became a supervisor and manager. And even in that role, I had the honor of working and learning from foster and um, kin parents through the work in the eyes of my caseworkers. Um, my last two years in Mesa County, I served as their child welfare director, where I continued to meet quarterly with my foster parents and my kin parents so that I could build relationship, understand challenges, um, really just help break through barriers and celebrate successes. So professionally, fostering kin parents have always had a special place in my heart, but I also have a personal experience with foster care. Um, as my sister became a certified foster parent um, a while back and provided care for a very adorable and very challenging um, kiddo who I got to know and love. And um, so I really have seen the joys of foster care. Um, I've seen the tears and the pain of foster care. I know that there needs to be more support and I know that we can always do better. And I hope over the course of my leadership here at Adams um, that my team and I can learn more from you about how to do this. And I am always open to grabbing a cup of coffee or tea either at your house or in the community if you're ever interested in connecting. So I will pause there and let the rest of our group introduce themselves. Rochelle, do you wanna go? 
Sure, thank you. I also wish we could see all of you, but I have looked at the participant list and I see many familiar names on the list. So glad to see you're here. Um, I'm Rochelle Hessing and I do post adoption support and adoption recruitment for Adams County. And I have now been with Adams for four years. Awesome, Angela? Hi, I'm Angela Wilson, and I supervise the foster care team here at Adams. Um, last week, I just celebrated my seventh year with Adams County, which is so crazy. I feel like it's only been a few years, but it's been really great and amazing to see how our program continues to develop and improve with all of your feedback and every day just keep trying to um, make what we do more supportive and helpful for you guys. Awesome, thank you. Lily. Good evening, everyone. My name is Lily Tercios. I'm a caseworker in the permanency section, specifically an adoption caseworker. And I've been with Adams County for about two and a half years, I think it is. Awesome, Jennifer. Hi everyone. I'm also sad that I can't see all of you, but as Rochelle said, I saw a lot of your name. I saw all of your names in the um, participant box, so I'm excited to have all of you here. Um, I am the lead caseworker on the foster care certification team, and I am probably the oldie here. I have been with the county for 21 years and like four months, so um, I know I look really young, don't I? But yeah, so long time. I'm excited to be here tonight um, and excited to have all of you here. So thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. Rhonda. I'm Rhonda Bergen, and I am a um, ongoing supervisor in Adams County, and I've been with Adams County for um, nine years. Um, I was with Broomfield County for two and a half years and Jefferson County for 10 years. So I've been doing this work for um, quite a while, but I'm glad to be here with all of you. Awesome. Michelle. Uh, my name is Michelle Champagne, and I'm the foster parent recruiter on the foster care team. Um, I have been with Adams pushing seven years. Um, before that, I came from San Diego and did all kinds of stuff. So I'm really excited to um, be here and uh, meet with you guys tonight. Awesome. McKenna, are you there? There she is. I think so, yeah. Hi, I'm McKenna Hines. I'm one of the placement coordinators with Adams County. Um, I will be one of the folks calling you. It will be coming from Oregon, do not worry. Um, and my counterpart is Susan Townsend, so you'll get calls from her too. Awesome, and then Lindsay Gilchrist. Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay Gilchrist. I am a foster and adoptive parent in Denver County. Um, and we adopted our two little ones, uh, two of our kids um, two years ago and um, now provide respite for families. And I'm also the director of CHAMPS, which is an initiative of Foster Shorts, which I can tell you a little bit about after introductions, right, Renee? Perfect. Awesome. Well, that's who you've got on your panel. Quite the panel, isn't it, everyone? Um, Carrie, we're back to you to tell us a little bit about Families First, please. 
Absolutely. All right. I'm going to keep this really high level um, for a couple of reasons. I really want to make sure we focus the majority of our time on our question and answers, because that's probably really important for all of you. Um, and also, I could go on and on and on and on and talk about Family First forever. Um, so you definitely don't want to hear me go on and on forever about this. You also have a really great opportunity to attend a Family First training provided by Foster Source in October. So you'll get some more information about that. Um, so I'm just going to highlight probably four, um, just four areas for you tonight about Family First. So in its full name, it's called the Family First Prevention Services Act of 2018. We refer to it as Family First. Some folks refer to it as FIPSA. We prefer to call it what it is and honor the family in the name. And so we, we always refer to it as Family First. Family First really is um, the most massive child welfare reform that has happened over the last 30 years. And there's really two main pieces to this legislation. The first piece brings federal funding to the front end of child welfare. So instead of providing funding when kids come into child welfare on the back end through like foster care, for example, which it still will continue to do, this is the first time that federal funding will be provided to the state for prevention services to prevent the unnecessary disruption of families. Um, so what this could look like um, from your perspective or, or even in the work we do is that we will be able to draw down federal funding as a state when we are providing certain specific services to families to help keep them together in their own home and even um, in the home of kinship providers. The other piece of this important legislation focuses more on the placement side and really focuses on the appropriateness of that placement. And it ensures that when a child or youth is placed, that they are placed first and foremost with kin or with a foster family. And when they cannot be, and they actually need higher levels of care, they must be placed in qualified residential treatment programs that offer um, and focus on treatment, family engagement, and aftercare. Um, and there will be a new assessment process that has to occur in order to be considered for placement into those residential treatment programs. I think it's important for you all to know um, because some folks get really concerned that like kids are not going to be as safe when Family First is enacted. And I want you to know that um, we will continue to use all of our tools that we currently use to assess for safety. And if kids cannot safely remain at home, we will look for safe and available kin for them to be placed with. In those, in those instances when that cannot happen, then we will look to foster family placements so that kids can be raised in families, not institutions. So you're probably wondering like, how does this affect me? And again, you're gonna learn a lot more about that in the training that Foster Source will be providing in October, but I just wanted to highlight a few thoughts from my perspective. So first of all, more foster families are needed across our state to serve our children and youth. Um, and foster families need continued supports and services to help them care for the children and youth that are placed in their homes. We're also seeing, and, and you are too, um, more and more challenging youth who need loving and caring homes, who really understand and can deal with their trauma. And many of these youth will not be able to go into the qualified residential treatment programs. So we are gonna have to build therapeutic foster care in our county to help serve these kids. Third, kids who step down from these QRTPs or these qualified residential treatment programs are going to have plans for aftercare. So if they step down into foster homes, even into your home, this hopefully will be a support for both the child or youth and your family. 
And then lastly, it's important to know that as a state and even um, as Adams County, we are actually building the family first plane as we are flying it. We're all learning together as a department and as a county and even as a state, what we have in place and where our gaps are. And we definitely don't have it all figured out yet. So we need to extend grace and patience to each other um, as we engage on this journey together. Um, so that's all I have for, for uh, Family First. Happy to, to take any questions later on during the session, or you can certainly feel free to reach out to me, but um, that's, that's what I got for you for tonight. Thank you so much, Carrie. And I apologize if I'm glancing down, I'm trying to let a couple more people in. Um, McKenna, you're gonna tell us a little bit about how, how the needs have changed. Yeah, so a couple more folks came in. My name is McKenna Hines. I'm one of our placement coordinators in Adams County. Um, you'll get calls from me and from my counterpart, Susan Townsend. So those are most of the emails that will come through for placement search requests, or as we call them, PSRs. And my role is primarily working with our adolescents who might be in need of out-of-home placement due to hospitalizations, mental health, substance abuse issues. And again, I am here to remind you that we need foster homes too. Uh, I want to start by telling you a quick story about a kid named Alex. Alex was a 13-year-old boy. He was the middle kid with a 21-year-old sister who had her own two little kids, and he had a younger brother named Christian. Alex and Christian were bouncing between hotels with their mom until she dropped them off with their older sister and brother-in-law. Alex's PSR read that he was abandoned by mom, who came back after two weeks to pick up the dog and then left again. Alex's PSR said that Alex does not like to be told what to do. He does not like confrontation. If he's questioned about something, he gets defensive and he feels caregivers only want him in the home so they can get money for him. Alex's PSR said that Alex hits his younger brother, starts fights and arguments with his caregivers and is destructive to property in the home. Alex started lying and Alex started stealing. When Alex's sister and brother-in-law couldn't handle how Alex was coping with the situation, we were unable to find another family for him. And we spent, and he spent nearly one year in a group center. These same behaviors continued while he was in the group center. We discussed residential. We met monthly to talk about Alex and finding connections or a foster home, what supports he needed, what other family they had, trying to reconnect him to his sister so he could go back there, we worried he was getting worse. We also knew that Alex's mom wasn't becoming more engaged in the case, that Alex's caseworker changed during this time. And when his new caseworker came on, Alex refused to speak to her. And then we learned that Alex had a woman working at his school that he saw every day and that he called her mom. And then from there, we've got magic. We also have some tragedy in there because it took us a long time to get to that point. I wonder how often we asked Alex. I wonder if we had the right people asking Alex. But ultimately this mom and her family decided to be a kin placement for Alex and then they adopted him. And now here's where you come in. We don't ask you to be here as foster parents to adopt all the kids currently in out-of-home placement. We love when this happens, but that's not why we need you. Especially for our older youth, we need you to help find the other moms or dias or cousins in these kids' lives. 
We need you to provide space for them to be safe and refuge from this incredibly traumatic system involvement and for you to notice who they mention, who they talk to, and who they tell stories about. Do you remember the first time you heard the word kin? I mean, that's open. <laughs> that's open to everybody, because uh, I do. The first time I heard it in any meaningful way that wasn't in jest at my old-timey like country folk family, I was a child welfare worker. I've been doing this for almost seven years. So what does kin to a teenager mean? To us, it's really powerful because Colorado recognizes that kin isn't blood, it isn't marriage, it isn't past relationships. We can make kin out of a lot of people. But do teenagers or 10-year-olds know that? Foster parents can be an essential investigator when a child is shut down or lost or scared or healing in ways that their caseworkers and their GALs may not be able to. And you've got snacks and you've got comfy couches and pets and kids. Imagine how this setting might be more opportunistic than being at school with a stranger asking you, who do you know? Who's your family? Who can we call? You are essential members of our team and we need you. And so do our teens. I can set you up in a process that we call the spotlight sessions to not talk more about the teens who need foster homes. This process is slow, it's thoughtful, it's intentional. This process includes our youth in the decision-making. These kids have so much loss in their lives to get to the point of me even asking you this question. Literally all of them have been in multiple placements before. They have so much loss of control and agency that this is a place where we can start to make decisions together. If you are not yet saying yes to fostering an adolescent, that's okay. Uh, but if you're curious, let's connect and let's talk. And I will put my info in the chat for you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, McKenna. Oh, good. I see the names of the people I was trying to help get in. Welcome in, guys. Welcome in. Um, I told you quite a bit about Foster Source, and I think I know most of you anyway. We've um, pasted all of our links in the chat for Foster Source if, if you need any of our services. My team has just uh, pasted the link for the Family First training coming up on October 2nd. We'd love to see you there. And now I'd love to hear a little bit more from Lindsay about her work with Champs. Thanks, Renee, um, and welcome everyone again, especially those who just joined. Um, so <clears throat> I just want to give, if you don't know about CHAMPS, we just wanted to make sure you all were aware of what CHAMPS Colorado does. Um, so CHAMPS' uh, vision really is to ensure vulnerable kids are safe and thriving by promoting foster and kin families as a vital component of the child welfare system, that you your work in, in caring for kids is crucial, and we want foster families to, to be retained and to be fully supported in their work. So that came out of my experience as a foster um, and adoptive parent and the friends around me um, really struggling. And we felt like, hey, there's something we can do here. There's got to be something we can do here to, to help retain foster and kin families. And then um, out of that, got connected with Renee and realized how, and talked through all the amazing stuff that Foster Source does to support foster families. And so what were the, the what was the area that we could kind of step into and felt like that was kind of policy and support directly for the counties and changing policies that 
that impact fostering kin families. So we launched in May 2020 um, in partnership with Foster Source. And um, Champs Colorado is actually a part of a national campaign to ensure that quality parenting, uh, that we have quality parenting for all kids in foster care. So just a little bit about our engagement. We do work on the on the state level um, in Carrie's old job at the um, at CDHS, um, the Colorado Department of Human Services, um, on elevating the foster and kin family voice. So when like the training on Saturday, when which I hope you all will attend, the um, CDHS is constantly uh, writing rules that you would be surprised to know how much they are impactful in your life as a foster parent. And they, they want to hear from you and want to hear about what the direct impact and how you feel about rule changes. Um, it's, it can be tedious, but it's incredibly important. So we, we engage in that and then are also working with the state to establish a family voice council um, of families to give the state kind of regular feedback um, on, on um, their policies. As you all may know, we are in a county-based system. So, um, so we also work with counties, which is why I'm here tonight. We have three pilot counties that Champs Colorado works with. So Adams, Larimer, and Denver. And in each of those counties, we do a whole host of things. We, uh, the goal really is to be a value add to the county so that we can support um, their foster and kin family. So we, as you may hopefully all saw, um, uh, just about a year ago, we did, we did a survey, um, and you all, um, responded in overwhelming fashion and awesome, um, responses and feedback to the county. We then took that feedback and said, okay, what, how, what are some supports that we can put in place to help foster families as a result of that feedback? One of those things is the mentorship program. Um, hope you all will, I know I saw some of the the names um, who are already signed up to be mentors. If you're new foster parents, get a mentor. We all know it's so important to have that support, um, whether it's just for a phone call to vent or you need help with the system or anything like that. Um, please, please um, take advantage of that. So that was launched about a, uh, two months or three months ago. Um, Jennifer has done a great job in leading that. Um, and then this is the beginning of, of and we'll talk later about um, engagement on an, um, an advisory council where, where you all can give strategic feedback to the county. As Carrie said, she's available and always willing to, to talk with foster parents. And we also want to provide a real structure too that we can talk and, um, and give feedback to the county. So um, really excited about you all attending tonight, excited about continued engagement with Adams, and, um, and thanks for, for having me. Awesome. I will say this is the second panel we've had with Adams County, um, and so far we have no other panels with any other county as far as human services panels, so kudos to Adams. We really, really appreciate you. Now, I'm going to attempt to share my screen again, and we're going to get into the questions. That's not the right one. Sorry. There we go. There we go. 
Let me know in just a second here if you can all see this. Does everyone see the first question? Please give me a thumbs up. Yay, okay, awesome. So he, these are some of the questions that came in when you registered. And there are different folks here from the county on the panel that are gonna answer for us. So question number one was, does the county prefer that kinship providers pursue certification? What are the benefits to certifying? Are there benefits to not certifying? And Angela, you're gonna answer this one for us, I believe. Yes, I am going to do my best to answer this. Um, when we think about kinship certification, we, we do not have a preference for what makes sense for each individual family. I think what our goal is to educate each kinship family about what the certification process looks like, um, also what are some of the benefits, um, the different layers of expectations that would be required of them. Um, as well as letting them know what the other option is, which would be to remain non-certified kinship and to really be able to offer them um, an opportunity to compare and contrast the benefits of each of those things and really help them decide what makes the most sense for what is going on with their family, their time, their jobs, um, all of those things. And if certification is something that a family chooses, then we do absolutely move them forward to the next step um, and continue on the process in the same manner that we do for traditional foster families. Um, the benefits to certification for kinship families are that they do get that extra layer of support. And I think one of the one of the things that we tend to think about is that the kinship families are receiving the same level of support as traditional foster families because they're assigned a kinship worker. And um, that is not the same at all. Our certification staff um, are meeting with families and children every month and being available to attend staffings, FTMs, um, and just offering that really intensive level of support, advocating for resources and services. Um, and our kinship team right now has six certification or six kinship workers and caseloads that are a little bit more than double our certification caseloads. And so they are not able to offer that, that intensive level of support. So we think the benefit is really that extra person to come alongside you and guide you through your journey. Um, also the benefit of certification is the foster care reimbursement. And who wouldn't benefit from having some extra dollars to um, sign children up for activities or um, buy some new school clothes or whatever it might be. Um, what When families choose not to get certified, even after being presented with their choices, typical reasons for not certifying are um, the stigma that comes around the words foster care. And some of our families just really struggle that they're changing their role from potentially a grandparent to a certified foster parent. 
Also, um, a lot of families don't want that extra layer of involvement. They're very busy. They're caring for several kids and the idea of having um, the amount of paperwork that you guys are all familiar with and expectations and requirements just doesn't um, outweigh some of the other benefits to certification. And so they really just choose not to do that and to continue caring for um, the children in their home on their own. So I, I think also one of the benefits that families sometimes don't think about regarding non-certification is some of those decisions that um, foster parents are not always able to make on their own um, because the county has custody and some of that stuff has to be made by caseworkers or the treatment team. Some of our kinship families are able to do that um, because they retain physical and legal custody of children in their home. So I, I think, you know, our goal is to just educate the families on their options and support whatever decisions they make. That's super helpful already. Thank you so much, Angela. I think you are set for question number two as well, if you just want to hang on there, which is um, not scooting forward for some reason. Oh, goodness. Okay, hopefully I don't have to do that for every slide. Did I mention that Lindsay moved to Georgia, everybody? <laughs> Lindsay moved to Georgia. All right, Angela, how will the county support non-certified kin? You kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, yes. is, is there any support? Yeah, this is a really, really good question. So in a very simple statement, I'm going to let everyone know that the county really doesn't provide financial support to kinship providers. Um, kinship providers who are providing physical care for a child are eligible to apply for child-only TANF in the county in which they reside. And that amount is approximately $141 per child. Um, the kinship families are still expected to um, work with us and they are also expected to work alongside child support enforcement. Um, who seeks to pursue parents for child support. And sometimes if a parent is paying child support for children that are now in kinship care, the kinship parent can pursue the process of applying for that child support money. Now, if our kinship families reside in Adams or Denver County, and they have applied for a child-only TANF, they can work with Family Tree um, also to receive short-term case management and some short-term financial assistance to help support and stabilize placement. And then lastly, um, our kinship team consists of 12 staff and every kinship family is assigned a kinship caseworker, a benefit navigator, 
and a case aid to help provide assistance and support and point families in the right direction. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Angela. All right, I think we have Rhonda signed up for this one. Rhonda, if you don't mind coming, um, unmuting. I'm wondering why kinship to adopt children, ICPC, um, or I guess not necessarily even with an ICPC involved, but do not automatically qualify for Medicaid as most adopted children do. So if I understand this question correctly, um, it would depend on um, if they are, um, who has custody of the kids. Um, if the children are with an ICPC, then they would have to, um, the county would have to have custody of them. And then um, whatever state the kin family is with the children, um, they have to qualify for um, Medicaid in that state. And then they have to um, qualify for that. Um, but we try um, really hard to make sure that all the children that aren't with their parents um, do have um, Medicaid. And that's why we have the um, benefit navigators that help out with the kin um, family. And then um, once they do go to, um, uh, once they do adopt the children, um, if Medicaid is part of the subsidy, then they'll continue to receive um, Medicaid. I hope I answered that question. Um, okay. Yeah, how it was asked. If you guys have follow-up questions, feel free to put them put them in the chat. We have McKenna for number four. McKenna, when the intake worker comes to my house to bring a placement, what should I be sure I know before he or she leaves? And what if the intake worker doesn't know much about the child? Wow, this is a curveball because I did not know I had this one. Um, and team members, please do help. But I would say okay, we're starting as foster parents. Um, have as much information as you can. If this is for an assessment on an allegation, um, please just have as much information as you can. If this is an intake worker bringing a child to your home, um, please, again, uh, we're gonna need to do a full home visit and talk with, well, you're already certified. Well, we'll need to talk to the adults in the home. Um, if the intake worker doesn't know much about the child, uh, at the placement desk, we really, really try, especially with our emergency placements, um, to ensure that we have at least the medical information, um, any allergies, uh, we push really hard on our workers to make sure that they're having those conversations. And if they, whatever they can't get, we say those are, you have to know if this child has any prescriptions, allergies, uh, medical conditions, we really won't um, connect them to you as foster parents without knowing that information. And then we want to plan for the additional info that you need. So 
Um, if your questions are not getting answered by the time the intake worker shows up at your home, um, one, you're going to probably be talking to myself or Susan beforehand. So I really love, um, I think actually some of the foster parents I saw who are here today are really good at giving me those questions when I say I don't have a lot of information. So let's start there. When I start to send you that referral, keep kind of a docket of things that are important for your family to know um, that you can just copy and paste to me and I'll work to get those to you before the child shows up at your home. And team, if you would help with anything else that is pertinent that I missed, that'd be great. McKenna, does anybody else want to chime in? This is Lily. I would just say if it's a school-age child, um, knowing about school, their grade, uh, any accommodations that they need and things like that would be important too. Oh, one of our foster parents just put in the chat, which is a great thing to ask. Does the child have siblings? Uh, and is there a, a visitation plan with siblings, et cetera? Great question. All right, let's go to the next question. And this is for Rochelle. Rochelle, what ongoing support is available to parents who adopt out of foster care? Does everyone qualify for services um, besides Medicaid if our child doesn't have Medicaid? So if you adopt a child out of foster care and you don't have Medicaid, there's still uh, many supports that are available to you. Um, one resource that if you're not familiar with it that you all should learn a little bit about is Raise the Future. A lot of um, Colorado state funding goes to Raise the Future to provide post-adoption support. And they have things like free TBRI training. TBRI is trust-based relational intervention. It's a evidence-based parenting model. And um, if you complete that training, they'll provide an in-home parenting coach for you. So to kind of help you with specific issues that you're struggling with in your home. They also have mentors. They have on their website, a resource list for um, adoption competent therapists. You can put what city you're in or the area and, and different providers will come up. Whether or not they take Medicaid is also listed on that site. Um, as a county, we believe that your adoption adventure begins on the day you finalize. And so we wanna continue to support you beyond that date. And so whether you remain open as a foster parent or your um, family closes your home after your adoption, we will continue to be here. That's part of my role. So I'll put my contact information in the chat box. I do maintain like a 50 page resource guide. So I have lots of resources. I'm always adding to it and collecting more. Thank you, Renee, for putting Race the Future in there. I can. I was going to do that as well. Um, I do a newsletter quarterly, and I also do um, facilitate a virtual chat with adoptive parents. And I believe that you as the adoptive parents are the experts. So I love to have you share with each other um, what works for you, what tools you have, what resources you have. If there's anyone who would like to co-facilitate one of those groups with me, I'd love to hear from you, or if you um, wanna be a contributor to the newsletter. If you don't get the newsletter or don't get invited to those, I need your email. So I will put my email in the chat and I'd love to have you um, email me and then I'll add you to my list and start sending you the newsletter and invitations to those virtual chats. Um, one more thing, Adams County has a grant that we have um, received and 
That is to pay adoption competent master's level therapists through Maple Star to provide in-home therapeutic support to adoptive families. So it's available to you prior to finalizing your adoption. And it's also available after you adopt. It's a voluntary um, program. So if you're interested in that, I would be able to make those referrals for you or connect you if, um, if you would like to know more about it. So you can reach out to me about that too. So I'll make sure I put my contact information in the chat. Awesome, thank you, Rochelle. I think I have you for the next one too. Let me know if that's not the case. Um, I would like to get to know and hopefully adopt a child on the Adams County Adoption website. Do I have to be a foster parent first? So I, I was hoping, and uh, Michelle and Lily can jump in and help me with this if they want to, but um, if you see a child on a website, Adopt Us Kids, um, Colorado Heart Gallery, or Adams County's website, if you hit the um, inquire button, then um, if it's an Adams County child, I should respond to you or the child's caseworker. And we can give you a little bit more information than what you see on the website. If you're a non-certified non-homesteadied family, we're limited in what information we can give you. That's just to protect a child's confidentiality. Things on the internet can be accessible to anyone. So we, you know, we wanna make sure that um, we're only giving that really private information to people that need to have it. Um, if, so getting to know them would be a team decision, whether or not you, you know, maybe could be a mentor for them if there's a program you could volunteer through to get to know a child. And there are some events through Raise the Future again that are um, like meet and greet parties with adoptive children and interested families. So that would be a way you could get to know them. Um, they are doing those live events again. Um, there's a program called Choice through Raise the Future that's a mentoring program. It does not have an adoption component, but it's just a great way to get to know the kids who are needing permanency, who don't have those permanent connections. It's a great way to make an impact on a child's life without necessarily adopting. Another great way just to get to know a child who may be waiting for a permanent family would be to volunteer through CASA. Um, do you have to be a foster parent first? To adopt a child who's in foster care, you, you either need to be a relative, so akin to them, or you need to be a certified foster parent. And that's because the county has custody of those kids and we can only place them with foster parents or with um, kinship parents. So I hope I answered all the components of that. Did Michelle or Lily wanna add anything else? Hold on, there may be something here. Um, so if, if someone stumbles along the Adams County adoption website, or let me, are we looking for our current families to necessarily adopt these? kiddos on the adoption website, or you rather would you rather a family who's interested spend some time fostering first? Or would they not be able to necessarily foster that child first? That was a, a lot of questions. Um, I'm trying to think what you asked first, Renee. So if someone's interested in a child on that website. Right. Then they, they should certify to be a foster parent. And then okay. are they going to foster that child? If someone is already a foster parent, 
they can connect with me at any time. I'm I'm thrilled, honestly, to to go through my entire list of all the waiting kids that I have available in Adams County. I will I will give you descriptions of them, talk with you, um, talk about who their team is, answer your questions. Just reach out to me anytime, and I I love to do that. If um, what was the other questions? <laughs> if if it's just you know Joe from the street and feels like, okay, maybe we're interested in adopting, um, and they reach out. I think there's a form on the website where you can reach out and inquire. Then they should they should do an inquiry because honestly, all of those kids have very specific um, individualized circumstances and they should talk with the child's caseworker or the recruiter for that county. Okay. Because um, those websites have very limited information, again, just to protect a child's confidentiality. Sure. So if they see another child that they're interested in, maybe they don't even know what county they are um, from because Colorado um, Heart Gallery doesn't tell you that. They should reach out through the inquiry button. Okay, awesome, yep. thank you. Yeah. And so they may be able to get, I think you asked like, could they have that child placed in their home if they're yeah. certified? Yeah, Is that what you said? Okay. If they're not a certified home, but they, fought, they certify because they're interested in a specific child potentially um, they'd be able to foster that. Potentially they would. Okay. We, in adoption, we do something called matching. And so the team, it's a team decision. So the team would need to get to know that family a little bit, which might be like a, a Zoom meeting to talk a little bit more about the family. It might be a face-to-face -face visit in the home. It would definitely be reviewing the family's home study and um, just talking about what are the strengths you bring? How could you support this child long-term? What would you need to be able to support them long-term? Do you have the skills and abilities that it takes to parent this child? Does your community have the resources that they need? Like those kinds gotcha. of things would be um, discussed before a child could be matched and then um, gotcha. subsequently placed with the family. Thank you, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Rhonda, okay, number seven is for you, Rhonda. When does my case leave the intake worker and switch to an ongoing worker? So um, typically, um, when the intake worker um, decides that it's going to move into a case, um, an email goes out to all the um, ongoing supervisors, and we decide who um, can take the case. And then at uh, officially, it changes hands at the family team meeting. And so the ongoing worker um, will... Um, be in contact with you. Um, and we try, it doesn't always happen, but we try for the intake worker and the ongoing worker to go out and do a joint home visit um, so that they, the ongoing worker can meet um, you and also um, the child or children that are placed in your home. Awesome. Thank you. Angela, I think we have you next. How will you support kinship families who have an often strained relationship with the biological parents so that they don't burn out with the added stress of having to deal with the child welfare system? Yeah, that's a really great question um, because the added stress of having to deal with us is definitely a lot of stress. 
Um, with this question, I did reach out to our kinship supervisor, Allison Walter, to get her feedback on this question as well. And I think we both agree that it's a really difficult one to answer. Um, right now, I think, as I said earlier, our kinship caseworkers provide, they do try to provide a lot of support to families to process some of the feelings and experiences but at times that might not be to the extent that is probably needed. Um, and that is just because right now we have six kinship caseworkers with ongoing caseloads of 40 to 50 families on average. So sometimes there just really isn't the ability to spend as much time supporting the kinship families as we really would like and as we know that they need. However, we do have our kinship keep program um, that can work with families for one to two hours weekly for up to three months. And this is the program that we would suggest referring a family to that might be struggling with some of these challenges. Also right now, our kinship team is working with our intensive treatment team to put together um, an ongoing psychoeducational support group for kinship families over common topics. Um, with a goal of it being a six week topic rotation that families can attend for additional support and really kind of share experiences and learn from other kinship families who are experiencing some of the same struggles and hopefully providing encouragement to one another. But we are always hoping to increase our opportunities um, to provide additional support to our kinship families and finding additional ways that they connect with each other. Um, so I, I don't, that's not really like a solid, solid answer. And what I would say is that just in general, it's, it's a very difficult, um, it's a very difficult challenge that is unique to kinship families. The last thing I will add about this question is that our current um, new foster parent curriculum um, does have kinship specific themes that do help families understand process um, and, and kind of learn, you know, different ways to seek support um, regarding this issue specifically. So we are hoping to get that, those specific training themes out to our kinship families. And I know um, Michelle Champagne, who is on here, um, was able to provide a kinship training to several families, as well as a kinship case, a kinship lead caseworker um, to just provide an additional layer of support from our team. Awesome. Lindsay, you wanted to jump in here a little bit about icebreakers? Can I interrupt just one second? I'm yeah, sorry. go ahead. Um, but, but also the um, caseworker is a support to the kin families too, if that's in um, ongoing or permanency. So you can always reach out um, to them also. And then as a team, hopefully we can help um, give a little uh, relief from that stress. And awesome. just to tack on to what Rhonda just said, I have been in situations where we have referred kin families to our internal treatment team, which is our therapist at Adams County, to work on this very uh, matter with families. And they have 
um, they do like Zoom visits with them or in-person visits in their home to help address these issues. So that is available to them as well. Good to know. Thank you, Lily. Lindsay, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, so uh, there is a system, um, um, a thing called icebreakers that we, that um, the child welfare system tries to utilize to strengthen relationships between um, biological uh, birth parents and kinship providers or foster um, providers. And the, the idea with that is that, that the families would have an initial interaction once kids get come into care. And this is absolutely applicable to kinship families as well, even though you, you may be as a kinship provider, be close to the biological family, or you may know them very distantly, um, but but to, to utilize that time to talk specifically about the child and set some, some, you know, information sharing time and where kind of the tension is dropped a bit um, and to, to really focus on what the kid loves and how can you best support the kid. We know even though biological parents are are um, going through a really hard time, they know their kid. And, and um, we wanna make, be sure that they can share that information and that foster parents can and kinship providers can really get that information so that they can better care for the kid. I would say as a kinship provider or a foster family, I would strongly encourage you to advocate for that, to advocate for that happening as early as possible so that you can share information. And, and um, I think that avoids all the data shows that that, that initial interaction avoids long-term stress in the relationship. Um, not all stress, of course, this is a, a, a tough system, but, um, but can really avoid stress. So strongly encourage folks to, to really utilize that opportunity to, to build a, um, a relationship that, that is based on and focused on the kids. Awesome, thank you, Lindsay. And I, I will add from a foster source perspective, we are working to expand our therapy programming, our therapeutic services to include all kin. Um, we're working with the state right now on that you all know, or I'm sure can imagine how hard it is to find funding to, for the caregiver, uh, but we are, we are working on it and we realize what a, a support it is. So we, we will keep you up to date on that. Our next question I think is, uh, I have town for Carrie. Let me know if that's not correct. With the implementation of Family First, does the county plan to provide additional trainings or incentives for families to become therapeutic homes? I love the question. I'm so glad you asked. And I might need to lean into some of my team members here for help with this one. But I would say that um, the, the building the continuum of, of care for um, kids and families in Colorado is really important. And it's something that Adams County needs to do, but it's also something the entire state of Colorado needs to do. So um, when we talk about the continuum, we talk about the continuum all the way from um, kinship, all the way up through the highest levels of care, which would be hospitalization. And so everything you can imagine in between. Um, and that therapeutic level of foster care is really important in that continuum. So Adams County, um, is going to create a therapeutic foster home program. So we're really excited about that and have lots of great minds around that to think and develop that more out thoroughly. So um, stay tuned for more information about that. But that, um, that, that program really will be able to um, 
it, it just provides a different level of care for kids and a different level of training and support for the foster parents who are providing that level of care. Um, and so I, I'll let my um, colleagues here jump in and, and explain a little bit more about what that might look like. So certainly there would be additional training for anyone who's interested in becoming a therapeutic foster home provider. Um, and when we talk about incentives, I think we probably need to make sure we have a shared definition of incentives. It does provide a higher level of payment for foster uh, care providers. And then I would also consider the additional support um, and incentive for providing that level of care. Um, so I'll, I'll pause there and just see if there's anyone else on my team here who wants to, to add or highlight any information about the therapeutic uh, foster homes. Great, thank you. And I think we have a slide coming up about what that um, entails, but feel free to jump in now, anyone, if you'd like. Um, you go oh. ahead, McKenna. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so there will be additional training. There's about 12 hours on top of what um, being a certified foster parent entails. Um, we are working on our plan of what that looks like, and we have some really good ideas. But basically, our therapeutic homes are going to require more trauma-informed um, modalities. If you are specializing in a certain kind of kid with a certain kind of issue, we'll ask you to do some skills based um, specific to those issues as well. And then, yeah, I totally agree with Carrie. Um, the incentives that we have, there are more supports. Um, there are more staff folks. There is uh, some crisis intervention supports that are part of the program as well. And then as far as kind of trying to determine a level of care, and maybe this will come in a second with another question, but uh, we started at our very lowest level, which is people with their family and with kin, and then traditional foster care. Therapeutic foster care is gonna be one level up from that. So it is considered a higher level of care than traditional foster care, um, but it has more intensive therapeutic services just child, but the foster parents and for that family system in general. Um, above that, we have treatment foster care, which is just gonna be a little bit higher level, um, and then into the qualified residentials and into hospitalization. So therapeutic foster homes are not intended to be long-term foster homes. These are really um, going to be some of our kids who either have been in a lot of placements before or of residential and need more of that skill and base support, not just being in a family setting until we get them home. That's super helpful. Thank you, McKenna. Anyone else on this on this question? Okay, super. McKenna, I think you're up for the next question. So hang tight right there. What exactly is a therapeutic home? <laughs> How do you? Well, now is the quiz. What is yeah. it? Um, <laughs> yes. So it's that additional training. There will be crisis support. Um, our program, you can read volume seven at the state if you would like, but um, our program, we're going to have folks uh, with therapeutic certification have fewer children in the home. Um, so that is one additional difference in uh, therapeutic from traditional foster care. Um, really, it starts uh, with letting us know that you're interested in one, uh, supporting some of our kids who have higher needs, um, but Two, that you want to support them and you want to be more skillful in your uh, parenting to these kids. Um, it does require that you have some experience. So if you have not been a foster parent before or you are brand new, um, we can definitely talk about different kinds of experience that might count for this. Uh, we'll consider employment, we'll consider um, other places you've spent time with kids in your lives, um, but it is preferred that you are already certified so that we can add 
um, these skills onto it. Um, and just start by talking with your certification worker. So we are in the process of starting this program in Adams County. We are not up off the ground yet. It does have a higher uh, daily rate per pay um, and it is intended to be a shorter term placement. Those are the mains, I would say. Uh, real quick, the only other thing I think I would add to this is um, any family that's interested in a therapeutic foster home, there's also a really, there's a really big difference in the, in the time that is going to be required of foster families. Therapeutic foster homes will be participating in staffing, like weekly staffings, meetings, therapy with the children in the home. Um, in addition to your certification worker and members of the treatment team. So there really is just a much more intense um, connect. You, you really are a piece of the treatment team. And so that ability to participate in all of those meetings, supports, therapy is, is definitely going to be um, necessary. Yes, and the outcomes. I forgot about the outcomes. So I think uh, the jury's still out on how we feel about the term professional parenting, but um, as therapeutic foster parents, you will be more of a professional on the team. Uh, we look at how you're doing. Uh, you have your own plan and your own participation in the child's plan. So we um, wanna see how you're doing with placement stability, how um, kids are returning to permanency, um, whatever kind of monitors that we can um, start tracking and measuring uh, is an additional part of this program that is new. Thank you, McKenna. McKenna, you mentioned if I understood you correctly, that the placements would be shorter term. Why would that be? Where would, where would the children be going? So it's supposed to be more intensive, right? When Carrie talked at the beginning about family first um, and a little bit of our history and kind of placing kids in inappropriate levels of care where they're not getting that intensive therapy, all of our levels of care beyond I mean, really at every level, we are trying to add more supports and services so that we can get these kids back to their families and back to their homes with the skills that they need. So it's intended to be short term because it really is work. It's a lot of work. It's work for the parents. It's work for the kids. Um, it's work for the foster families and for the support workers that are in there. And it is skill development uh, to transition home. Yeah. That makes sense. So I'm wondering, and maybe this is digging too deep into family first, but is there a timeline as far as when the, the courts or whoever would decide if this looks like it, we will return home or if it's not going to be able to be a return? So the only timeline I would say on therapeutic foster care is that within 60 days of placement, we need to have a transition plan determined. Um, it can change, of course. It does not mean at day 60 that the child is moving, but within that 60 days, we need to have a plan on where that kid is going. Wow, and I would, okay, go and ahead. I would, I would just add on to that, um, to Renee, to answer your question. Like, none, Nothing in Family First dictates how long kids can remain in a family foster level of care. Um, there are uh, guidelines that dictate how long kids can 
can stay in residential levels of care. Um, but the, um, the, the length of time that kids should remain in foster care is more determined by our adoption and safe family legislation um, in terms of expedited permanency planning or just ensuring that counties have um, filed for termination of parental rights when kids have been in care for the last 15 out of 22 months consecutively. So some of those things, what, what you need to know is that Family First will not dictate how long kids stay in fat foster family levels of care. Okay, awesome, thank you. I think Michelle is up next. Michelle, how will you recruit therapeutic families if they've never fostered before? So it sounds like maybe initially you'll start recruiting within our certified families. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, so this is like the million dollar question. Like, how do we find these families that um, we, you know, we, we really need? So I think the first thing would be to identify our current foster families, people who would be interested um, in providing a therapeutic level. Um, and, you know, af after that, I, I have some um, ideas of how we can reach out to people in the helping professions um, to really, um, I'm, I'm going to try and um, see if using LinkedIn would be a good tool for us. Um, LinkedIn, you can kind of segment out and filter out different professions that people have been in different areas. So that is one of the um, ways I've identified to recruit um, these families. And I also think that as far as, um, you know, like providing information to them, like all of you here went through an information meeting, probably with me and Rochelle. And, you know, we will be using that, but we'll also be meeting like one-on-one -on -one with these families, um, going and having coffee with them and talking with them and really kind of getting to know them and know, um, and them getting to know us and our program, even before we, we, we have them engage in training, because we really want to make sure that this is really something that, um, that they are, are um, qualified to do, and also that they really are interested in doing. Um, Carrie or Angela, anybody have anything they wanna add to that? I thought you had the miracle recruitment answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's gonna fight Michelle for her job right now. That sounds really challenging, but if anyone is up for it, it's Michelle, I know that for yes, sure. Yes, that's true. I, I mean, Michelle's right. This is the million dollar question. Um, and I, I can very easily say that um, Adams County, along with other counties who are growing a therapeutic foster care program, along with our CPA partners who either already have or are going to have therapeutic foster homes, we are, we are always talking about ideas. Where, where are these families? How do we find them? Um, how, how do we support them once we do get them so that they don't burn out, they don't leave, and they recruit all of their friends. So we, we really are trying to establish relationships with all of our partners across the metro area um, and just really, you know, figuring out what works, um, what doesn't work and really being creative and thinking outside the box to do different things. And I think, you know, Michelle was absolutely right. Really thinking about different professions whose um, their occupational skills really lend 
to being a therapeutic foster home? And how do we get the information out to these professions that this is a, a massive need in Colorado? So we will be doing anything and everything um, to figure out what works. Awesome, thank you. Wow, this just reiterates what how helpful this is to have you all here and answering these questions. Thank you again, everyone. Um, number 12, McKenna, how will you handle the influx of teens when group homes close? Uh, that's another part of Family First. Are current foster families going to be asked to take in teens who have been in group homes? I love this question because it immediately makes me think that you all think on October 1st, we are going to be grabbing teenagers and dropping them at your door. And while I think that might work for a couple uh, and you might be pleasantly surprised, that's not what we're looking at. Um, we're not anticipating an influx at all. Actually, for the last three years, we've seen lots of group homes and residentials close and we've been figuring it out along the way. So um, I don't anticipate an influx, but we will always ask you to take in our teens. Um, let's see. Yes, um, and this is the same. Okay, so group homes closing. I don't want to get into the weeds of it too terribly much, but we will have access to them for short periods of time. Again, I'm in very close contact with all of our CPAs and placement um, folks across the state. We all do the same job in different counties and we try and connect with each other. Um, so group homes will be available. We really aren't gonna use them, which is why we're partially here today asking you to consider um, either therapeutic level of care or taking in a teen through a spotlight session, uh, learning more about them in a slower process to get services and support set up really intensively at the beginning. Um, Yes. Did I have anything else? Yeah, that's great to know, though, because we we didn't know that this is something that's been going on for a couple of years. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. We probably did think, OK, it's October 1st. Nobody answer the door. There's going to be I, five teams out front. I know. <laughs> so, that's I know. Great, so, yeah, that's great that this is something that's kind of we're already in the process of, of finding great placements for. Yeah. And I really can't uh, stress it enough. I was talking with um, another child placement agency today and they were talking about this family that they had for a long time who only took littles. were not interested in teens. And they got into a real bind and just asked for like, can you do respite? Can you just help us out with this kid for respite? And the family fell in complete love with her. I mean, they kept her only as respite because she had a different plan, but said like, oh my God, anytime you need her, I never thought I would want to have a teenager in my home. I know that they don't read nicely on paper and um, there are a lot of things going on for them, but if you can give it a shot as respite, even as a start, or uh, just talking with your friends and family, that's what I say with my spiel on spotlight sessions too, is that it's not just about placement, it's also about education. So if you can hear what we're talking about with teens that need um, homes and need families, if it's not your family, please talk with your friends about the need and um, let's try and get them connected that way. If you're doing work with champs, I'm sure it's not the first time that you've heard that all children need amazing parents. And that definitely goes for our teens. We can get really creative. How can your family and community help even if it's just for a short period of time? 
That's awesome. And what a great idea to start with respite, you know, just initially to meet them a little bit. And I believe you that they had a teen and they just absolutely fell in love with the teen. And Hey guys, no diapers. That's gotta be a plus, right? Renee, can I just add one thing too? Yeah. Um, so I was just going to say, it's a unique opportunity right now too, where counties are starting to look at how to build out their therapeutic and treatment foster families. And I would encourage foster parents to engage with the county on way, what would help you kind of take that next step in taking teens or taking kids that are that are more challenging and have more acute needs. Um, this is the time where we can really start to think through what are the supports that families need to get to that next step and, and put them in place. So I think it's an exciting time and to be really honest and open with what would, what would help you get there, so. Agreed, and, and, and unconventional things sometimes, right? It doesn't have to be something that's already an ongoing service that we, we have options through community partners and whatnot that we, we could possibly be able to provide additional supports. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, for number 13, we have Jennifer. Jennifer, if we need to move to a different county, will we be able to keep any current placements? So the simple answer to this is yes, you will be able to keep the current placements that you have in your homes. Um, you know, I think what's going to be important about this, first and foremost, we know people want to move, need to move. Um, that stuff happens. That's life. Um, I actually had a family a couple of years ago that like moved four times in one year. And so we were able to maintain the placement and maintain everything that went along with that child um, in that home. So yes, you can certainly move to a different county, keeping the children that are in your home. Uh, one of the things that certainly is going to be important to remember with a move to a different county is continuing that continuity of care for the child or children in your home. So that might mean keeping them in the same school because that's going to be important for them to maintain those connections with their school. Um, therapeutic services potentially will need to maintain this, be the same or stay the same or stay similar. Um, visits with parents, visits with siblings, you know, all of those things that are a part of the case and that are going on wherever you are currently residing. When you move, we will certainly be asking you to maintain that commitment to that child and to that family. Um, because just because you move doesn't mean the case would change necessarily. Um, so with regards to that piece of it with the child, those are things that we have to consider. And we would talk with you about certainly if you were considering moving. Um, the other thing with regards to certification, um, it's a pretty simple process for you as foster parents and for us as certification workers if you're moving. Really, all it means is you move. We do a walkthrough of your new home to ensure that your new home is set up and meets all the same safety requirements through that 5,000-page home inspection sheet you all have seen from us. Um, and so with once we do the walkthrough, we will be interviewing you, talking with you, doing a home study update that just really kind of describes the different home that you're located in. Um, with regards to your certification year, the actual year doesn't change. We would just do a new contractual agreement with you from the date of move to your new home to the end of your certification year. So it's a pretty simple process. Um, the most important, again, being that we maintain that continuity of care for the children that are in your home at that time of your move. Thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. So drive might be a little longer to visit or, you know, back to school so we can keep them in school of origin. That makes sense. Thank you, Jennifer. Rhonda, you are up for number 14. Can we leave the state with our foster child for vacation? So, um, yes, you can, but there's steps that have to happen before that happens. 
Um, so if you um, decide to go on vacation and you want to take um, the foster child or children, please let your caseworker know ASAP um, because the caseworkers have to ask the parents if they know where they are, um, if they're okay with you taking the children or not. Sometimes parents are okay with that. Sometimes they're not. If we don't know where the parents are, then um, we have to um, request from the court that they can, um, that you can take the child out of state. Um, the other piece of that is, is the caseworker needs to do what's called a travel letter so that you have that with you um, when you take the child out of state. And um, oh, also if kids are having a visits with their parents um, and there's a missed visit because you um, take the child out of um, state, that has to be, um, that those have to be made up. Um, and um, the county or the um, visitation provider can work with you on that. Um, but you do have, you can't just take a child out of state without letting um, the caseworker know though. Okay, super. Rhonda, you're on for the next couple if you just wanna hang out there. How much say do we have in when visits will be between children and their parents. I work all day and cannot get a child to visits during the day. How much flexibility is there? So this is a complicated um, question because with visits, um, who's ever doing the visits, if it's one of our case aides or if it's um, an agency that we contract with, they will contact you to see when you can do um, get the child to a visit. Our um, contracted agencies, um, they do evenings and weekends. Um, so um, it, and it's also important to let the caseworker know that um, this is when I'm available um, to be able to um, get the child children to and from the visits. The other piece of that also, what when it becomes difficult is when you say, I only have, um, I don't know, I only have Saturday from 10 to 12. That makes it a lot more difficult because we have to um, work with the uh, parents' schedules, with your schedules, and also the person that's doing the visit schedules. And then it gets more complicated when there's a sibling group and they're placed in different homes because we have to consider all of their schedules too. So it can get very complicated, but yeah, you do have um, some say so um, with that, but the more flexibility um, that you have, um, it helps um, tremendously. That makes sense. Thank you. One more for you, Rhonda. Can I attend court hearings? Yes, you can. Um, court hearings are considered to be um, open. Um, the only time that doesn't happen if it's really um, sensitive, um, confidential information um, because of what the child went through, um, especially like in sex abuse cases and that type of thing. Um, it, what's really important is to make sure your caseworker has your um, email address because as a count, uh, at, the whole state, but we are um, required 
to send you the court information um, so that you can attend um, a hearing if you choose to. You won't be able to speak at the hearing, but you can definitely attend the hearing. Brittany, can I jump? Yes, please. Uh, yeah. So I was just going to say, strongly, strongly encourage foster parents to attend hearings, to attend meetings where you are invited. I think it's it's goes to that aspect which we saw in the surveys with with Adam's um, family that that you want a voice at the table because you are advocating for the child in your home, and I think it it really pulls the veil down of understanding the system and the, and what's going on with the case. And it better enables you um, to support the family and, and support the child. So I would strongly encourage that. I think, you know, as, as um, Rhonda was saying, they won't ask you to speak or anything and don't plan on speaking. Um, but I, I think it's just helpful to, to, to see that um, in the same way that icebreakers are helpful <laughs> to, to break the tension, to understand the system and to see um, the best way you can advocate for the kid in your home. Agreed completely. We've had a judicial panel, um, actually a couple through Adams County before, and that was the same sentiment from everyone on the panel, actually, the magistrates, the chief, even the chief justice, the county attorney, the CASA, the respondent parent council, all of them encourage foster parents to attend. Um, thank you, Lindsay. And I think our final question is for Carrie. You're going to love this. Can we email you, Carrie? When is it appropriate to contact someone up the chain? Yes, uh, you can always email me. I'll never tell you you can't email me. Um, but I can answer the second question by saying we believe in trying to resolve any questions or concerns or problems that you might have at the very lowest level. So I would encourage you to start with the caseworker or your certification worker, whoever maybe the issue or question is that you have. And if you aren't satisfied with that answer or feel like you need more, then please feel free to reach out to that person's supervisor. And if that still is not helpful, then I would suggest contacting the manager who is over the particular um, supervisor and worker. Um, that's usually where I will always ask um, if, if you have started, if you reach out to me first. Um, and again, it's important to just make sure that, that you start at that lowest level because those folks are going to be the ones who have the most information. Um, if you start with me, it takes me some time to, to collect the information and sort of figure out what's going on. And I oftentimes refer it back to a manager or supervisor to address. So I would suggest reaching out to me if you feel like you've tried everything and you just can't quite get um, an answer that you need. Um, I'm more than happy to, to help dig in and figure out what we can do. Um, I, I can put my email in the chat for you um, so that you can reach out via email. Um, if you do ever want to connect, I will put my um, assistant's email in the um, chat as well because she is um, the best at coordinating a time for us to connect. I'm more than happy to meet um, later hours if necessary so that that works for your schedule. Um, I'm also willing to meet early, although later is better for me, but I can certainly accommodate an early, an early morning connection as well. So, um, and if you have questions or um, information you're hoping to gather from me, the, the more that I have that in advance, the better, just because then I feel a little, a little bit more prepared to, to uh, meet with you all. But it's definitely not necessary, but um, I will go ahead and put my um, information in the chat and I hope that answers your question. Renee, can I chime in again? Sorry. 
She's on mute. Maybe I'll just start talking. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I just want to say that I think, first of all, I, I think it's, I would just reiterate the importance of what Carrie was just saying. I think foster parents often feel nervous about um, moving things to the next level. And I think the most efficient and effective way is to go through the next step, the, the um, supervisor, then the manager. Um, Carrie, I know you said you guys are working on a, um, um, a staff chart so that um, once the, an org chart, sorry, um, so that, that you all can see who, where, where staff are. Cause oftentimes, you know, you're, you don't know who the supervisor is and it may be on a paper that you have in a pile somewhere. <laughs> so that's, that will be really helpful. Um, and to feel empowered to address issues as quickly as possible. I think where we see real problems is when the, the, you haven't felt empowered to say, hey, this doesn't feel right. I want to tell you why. I want to explain this to you. And, and then kind of moving up from there. Um, I also, another plug for the mentorship program, I think this is also another way we can get um, a lot of help for foster parents when there is an issue. Uh, Renee can speak to this too. The two of us get phone calls all the time from foster parents and we try to guide them through uh, the best way to address issues. And we can also just be there for a support. So I would strongly encourage you to reach out to either one of us if you ever have um, a problem, but also to get a mentor. Thank you, Lindsay. Angela, do you mind chiming in here? Uh, you know, as we've talked to foster parents before, sometimes if they're not hearing back, for example, they hesitate to contact the supervisor because we don't want to be a tattletale, number one. And we just don't want, to, want it to seem like we're, we're causing trouble. And you, you've assured me that's, that's not what it feels like on your end. Yes, actually, you were like in my head because I was just typing like a novel in the chat. Um, so yes, lots of things. I, I was going to share with all of you that we actually do have a, um, I know it sounds technical and it sounds harsh, but we do have a grievance procedure um, that really just is exactly what Carrie said, is really just starting at that lower level and trying to resolve anything there. Um, what I wanted to share with you is that I am very aware that sometimes you guys have no idea who that next level person is. If it's is a supervisor, is it a manager? Um, and wanted to make sure that anyone can reach out to me at any time and just ask me like, you know, I really do think I need to reach out to this caseworker supervisor. I have no idea who it is. I'm happy to point you in the right direction. And, you know, I will share an experience I had just today. Um, I did talk with um, one of our kinship foster families um, that kind of got routed to me um, where, you know, she's been having some struggles with the process and just wasn't really sure who she should talk to because she's not certified yet. Um, and she didn't know, should she talk to me? Should she talk to um, the kinship supervisor? Should she talk to the supervisor of the children's caseworker? And as we were talking, I realized that she was talking about an incident that happened like eight months ago. And when I asked, you know, 
what what do you think took so long for you to reach out out to someone she what she said exactly what i believe to be true for a lot of families she was afraid there would be consequences and she was afraid that if ever they were going to move perhaps to adoption with the kids that somehow her concerns would jeopardize an adoption or placement and things were already difficult and she didn't want to make them worse and um, in all of those things. So I, I completely know that that is a reality for a lot of our families. And I, I will say this, which is exactly what I shared with her. We will never grow and do better and continue to improve our practice in child welfare if we don't know where we're not doing great work. And so I, I, you know, from my team, I definitely would love to hear all the ways that we can continue to improve how we serve and support foster parents. And I believe the same is true for ongoing our intake and our permanency staff, that if we don't know, we, we also can't address it and fix it. And there are no consequences. We don't have a blacklist for placement, I can assure you. We do not have that luxury of <laughs> saying no, but it, there's no consequence in speaking up and asking to have your needs met. Um, so awesome. reach out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yep. you. Does anyone else have any other questions? That's all that were submitted previously to the panel. And I think we've asked all of the follow-up questions that have come up. I feel like we have just gained so much information. Thank you so much to this amazing panel. Um, we are running a little bit ahead of time, so yay for us. But we're gonna hear now again from Lindsay, talk a little bit about the new advisory council. Hey, thanks Renee. I, um, Angela, I just got goosebumps with your, we will never um, change and improve as a, our practice if we don't know where we're not doing things right. That couldn't be a better pitch for the advisory council. I think that this is really, that's how we, we change the system and fix and improve is to come together and say, how can we, how can we um, find solutions so that kids are doing well, they can thrive and families can thrive. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about um, launching the advisory council in Adams. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity. I know you all um, have had experiences with advisory councils in the past that have not been necessarily helpful. So I want to, I want to just talk specifically of, of why, how we are going to design this so that um, you know that this comes from best practices, and we have um, we have experience with this in other counties where it's going very well. Um, so, so just want to reassure you that there's a lot of thought and strategy that's going into this, and and we are really looking to to you, amazing foster and kinship families, to um, engage and and volunteer to be a part of this. So, um, so yeah, so you know the the vision really. Um, for this advisory council is to strengthen the partnership between foster and kinship families and the department in order to promote healthy families so vulnerable children can thrive. So that is 
that is really the vision where we go back to where we will go back to every time we we meet. So um, the 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 that's kind of an important thing to keep in mind. Just as far as structure goes, um, we're looking for ten to fifteen members. Um, this will include likely include um, a two to three um, department staff. Uh, who are interested in also kind of actively participating in finding solutions, um, you know, will strive in recruitment of, of those members to be, you know, diverse in, in ethnicity and age, socioeconomic background, you know, their placement experience, um, and, and um, also foster and kinship families um, to really reflect the makeup of the existing pool of of foster and kinship families. Um, and, and the hope is that this isn't just the 10 to 15 people that meet once a month. It's it's filtered also through the rest of your certified families that we are really um, communicating regularly with the families about what the committee is talking, the council is talking about and, and that they can bring questions to the council if you're not on the met, on the um, on the actual council. So that 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 again opening those lines of communication between foster and kinship families in the department and really feeling like you have a place um, to to have voice. Um, so participation again, and some of this is we're going to want to we're going to want to build this with the committees or the council. Sorry, Denver's. Denver's council is called the committee. So I go back and forth between council and committee constantly. Um, so ideally we'll meet, the council will meet once a month um, for a couple hours and the commitment will be a year long. Um, members will meet, um, you'll we'll look for two co-chairs to kind of manage the workflow um, and wanna take kind of an extra step in, in managing the conversation of the meetings. Um, and the, the structure of the meeting will, will again be strategic. So we'll have, um, you'll, we'll, have a, a topic each month. Um, so for instance, maybe the topic is um, is placement. So the discussion is uh, you have a, par a, a person from the department come in and share about what it's like to work in placement at, at Adams County and what are the kind of the ins and outs, how many staff, what's the kind of challenges, what are the, and then the foster and kinship families have um, time to give feedback and say, hey, this is what has been fantastic in my experience with placement. This particular caseworker is amazing, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And then this is what really hasn't worked. And, and then, then, then have a really robust kind of back and forth. Um, and then from there, let the committee kind of debrief um, was that helpful? What, where, what are the takeaways? Um, and then, and then kind of discuss what the next topic will be, um, for the next month. So that's kind of the structure of the, of the council. Um, I, I will say, you know, so we're, we're going to start, um, the application process in the next few weeks. So, um, keep a lookout. We'll send an email with an application, an application meaning like super easy, like why you want name, experience, why you want to be on the, on the council. Um, and then we'll have a conversation with you just to chat about um, your experience, why you're interested. Um, and we really, you know, again, we're looking for folks that are solutions oriented, that have, have an interest in giving feedback to the county, 
feel inspired and empowered to, to do that and, and are, are open and interested in being honest and upfront about their experiences as well, which I'm sure it is all of you. So we, we really hope that you guys will be interested in applying. Um, and again, it, it's, it's a, we're looking for about a year commitment just to keep that continuity um, and, and commitment um, and to, to really build out the, the council. Um, I'm happy to take a, a moment for questions, but I just wanted to give an example. So we, we started, in, so we took the best practices from Champs National, where they've seen advisory councils implemented all over the country and have had huge successes. So they, they created a best practices document. So we've designed the structure around that. Um, and then we are just coming up on our year mark in Denver. And we, it has been one of the most successful programs that Champs has done. Um, it is, we have a takeaway and some sort of next step after every single um, every single meeting, um, and that goes that ranges from we need a monthly newsletter to how do we shift um, how do we shift how we do uh, placement to placement and how how foster parents can share information to, with the next placement or next kinship placement or reunification so that there's a, a more therapeutic transition for children. Um, that has actually changed in Denver County as a result of the, the council. I think another thing that has been um, probably an unanticipated um, change as a result of the council, which has been really cool, is the relationship and um, just culture change that has come out of a council built of caseworkers and foster and kin families working together. And I think, you know, we all have examples of great experiences we've had with caseworkers. I know the staff on, um, on this call have great experiences with wonderful foster and kinship families, but it, sometimes that can be hard and child welfare in general is siloed and we kind of retreat to our corners sometimes. And this is a space where we can come together and really try to solve um, problems and, and ensure that kids have a better, um, a better experience, a, a great experience when they enter into care and are able to, to um, thrive. So I think um, one quick story, we had, um, we were like three months, four months in, in Denver, and one of my favorite um, caseworkers who's on the council said, um, stopped and said, hey, foster parent at the very end, foster parents, is this has this been helpful for you all? Is it, do you, do you, are you gaining knowledge? Do you like this? You know, are we, are we, do you feel like we're moving the needle on things? And um, one of the foster parents said, um, you know, I absolutely, it has been so impactful. It's really hate, hard to hate up close and my cold dead heart for DHS is thawing. <laughs> we all burst out laughing and, you know, and, and, um, and then one of the, the, placement supervisor said, you know, I, for me, it is, it has been so helpful to hear the foster parent experience and to realize that we are all in a deeply frustrating system and we're all trying to take care of kids and make sure families can stay together. And we're all kind of bumping up against the system that's really difficult and it's not necessarily the people. And it's been so helpful for me to see that and see how much foster parents work so hard. And so I think that that is my dream and hope for the advisory council in Adams that that it that would be that 
source of, of change and solutions for the county. Um, and so really, really excited about it. I hope you are as well. And um, please, please apply and spread the word um, to apply. So happy to answer any questions um, and stay on for a bit. I know we are, yeah, this is, we're ahead of time. This is amazing. Yeah, right. Lindsay, sorry if I missed it. I'm assuming initially these will be virtually. Yeah, that's a great question. So we have obviously been virtual the entire Denver, I, uh, all the council members I've never actually met in person, except for one. And so the, um, so I would actually encourage, I mean, I think, yes, short answer is yes, it will be virtual. Long answer is I think the we've realized it's actually really helpful <laughs> to be virtual because you can have kids running around in the background as we've all learned. Um, so I think they'll we can, we can certainly, as we get to a point where it's safer to be in person, maybe you do a hybrid where you get to have time together, but you also have the alleviated stress of finding childcare <laughs> um, for, for those time periods. Awesome. Anyone else want to jump in on advisory council? Awesome. Does anyone else have any other questions for the panel? I think that's all we had for tonight. I would just like to thank all of you again. This has been incredible. I think Carrie, you're going to finish us out and then everyone please stay on. As once again, I'm going to attempt to do Lindsay's job and walk you through finding your certificate. <laughs> Thanks so much, Renee, and thanks again, everyone, for attending. I really hope you found this to be informative. Um, I hope for um, those of you who don't have relationships with us or would like to do that, um, we'll reach out. And we hope we can continue to support you in the best way possible. And to um, Angela's point, I definitely want to reiterate that we, we can't know how and where to get better if you don't let us know that. So please know that we're trying to create a, um, a community and a culture in our division that allows for us to hear feedback about how we're doing, even sometimes when it's really hard to hear. Um, and so we all need to be able to do that. And so um, again, thank you so much for attending tonight, taking time out of your busy lives to um, meet with us. We really look forward to uh, the advisory council that's on deck. And so we really hope we get some great interest from you all and from your friends. Um, so spread the word and um, please reach out if you need anything, we're here for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. All right, let me attempt this everyone. All right, give me a second, give me a second. Just chat amongst yourselves, it's all good. <laughs> Here it is, hold on. All right. It's so seamless when Lindsay does it. So she keeps saying Lindsay, it's a different Lindsay. It is a different Lindsay. <laughs> you, you all know our Lindsay Matthias, who was our program manager. I wouldn't be able to help at all. <laughs> Can you guys so, see tonight's verification code? Yes, no, yes. Okay, tonight's verification code is TOWN, capital T-O-W-N. If someone from my team could please post that in the chat, I would appreciate it. Hey, Renee, one more thing before we sign off. I have yeah. a little bit of a plug. Um, uh, some of you 
Well, I maybe didn't hear. Um, we have uh, received grant uh, about uh, almost two years ago now to um, start a lending library, a sensory lending library. And of course, with COVID, we had to stop because we didn't feel it was wise to lend out items to people's homes and get them returned uh, and then lend them out again. So um, we, we are excited. We are starting that up. Um, we are partnering with Foster Source to do this. Um, and so just be on the lookout in the next like week, you'll receive an email um, inviting you to create um, an account with, it's called lendit.com. The email will come out in Jennifer McCollum's name um, because she has the um, key card that pays for it. And um, so, so look for that, just sign up and then um, just kind of look through the, look through the yes. system. It's pretty user-friendly. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or Renee. Um, we're super excited to be able to lend um, some yes. of these really cool items out that can help your kiddos with their sensory issues. I mean, these are big ticket items, you guys. And so it's going to be so cool to be able to try them for a little bit. And disclaimer, uh, if you end up liking the item, you can keep it and Foster Source will replace it in the lending library. So we are really, really excited about this. And okay, here we go. Let's get your certificates, guys. <laughs> All right, we are back in the classroom. Does everyone see the class for tonight? Yes, thank you, Michelle. You're the only one I can see on my screen. So thank you for that, yes. What we're looking for here is four green check marks right here. So we've completed the webinar. So we have a green check there. We're gonna put our verification code here and it's successful thank you now we have two green check marks next we're going to go to the survey please don't do what i'm doing and please take time to fill this out because this information really 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 helps us again finding funding for the caregiver is really, really difficult because foster parents signed up for this and they're getting a stipend is often what we hear. So it's our job to educate funders about why it makes a difference to have service for caregivers. And oftentimes we can supply some of your comments about our services and it's very helpful. So please take some time on that. Now we have three green check marks. You do have to go over here and click view or print your certificate. There it is. There's my certificate. You can print this page if you want to. It lists the number of hours you've got on there. And now we have our four green check marks. Your Items are always stored here. And before we go over to the dashboard, let me show you. If you want a list of tonight's questions, they're loaded right here in the classroom. You can always go back and access those. And if you click dashboard here on the left side of your screen and then click transcripts and achievements, you can see, look at all these classes I've done. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know where tonight's is, but all of yours are here and you can download them as a PDF. So even if you're not certifying for another six, eight months, don't worry about it. Your certificate is safe and secure and stored in your account. 
So that is it for us tonight. We are finished. Thank you all again. Thank you, Adams County. Thank you, Lindsay from Champs. It's been a pleasure. Take care, everyone.